Well, do you ever feel as though everything is not as it seems? If, if you're anything like me, maybe you thought, hey, it's March, so you know the snow's probably done, and we know that wasn't as it seems. But honestly, there's a lot of times where even we're in situations that we think something is a certain way, and we make conclusions or assumptions about it, only later to find out that that was inaccurate. My wife and I had the privilege of serving in Brazil for four years, and we worked with indigenous South Americans. And one of the problems that we often encountered, and I know many other missionaries have encountered this as well, is that things are often not as they seem. So we worked at a Bible training center. Students would come from very remote villages and come, and they would learn about the Bible, Uh, We would teach a lot of different things. And what we found is it was very easy for our students to be Christians when someone makes time for you to read your Bible every day. When you have chapel every day. And when you're surrounded by other people who are trying to grow as Christians, who are trying to encourage you, that's, that's pretty easy. But often, things were not as they seemed. And what we found is that when a crisis would hit, whether it was minor or major, those crises would often show what people really believed and in whom they truly trusted. And so for our students, if someone had a major health crisis, that's where you would see them go back to the village. They would have an emergency trip. They'd pay a ton of money, sometimes even get flown back to a village to see their shaman or their witch doctor so that they could help heal them. That's where you would see what they really, at the end of the day, trusted in. And for us, sometimes a crisis can be as minor as financial strain, family difficulty, or as major as our own health or the health of our loved ones. But those questions of in whom we trust, where do we go to first when we need help, those show us what we really believe, even if sometimes on the outside things are not as they seem. And I think this is something that Jesus identified a lot with. He spent a lot of his ministry trying to dismantle the common assumptions that were made about who he was or about what God was doing or about what God wouldn't do or about who God wouldn't care about. And what we're going to see this morning as we continue in Matthew chapter 15 is that many things that seem a certain way are in fact not as they seemed. If you would open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 21 to 39 this morning. And just as a quick reminder, last week Pastor Chris taught on the first 20 verses of Matthew 15 where Jesus' disciples were being asked, why do they eat without doing the ceremonial cleansing? The religious leaders were deeply concerned about their hygiene. And Jesus said, you don't need to worry about what's on the outside. You need to worry about what's on the inside. That's what makes you unclean. So we'll pick up here in verse 21. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, that's, you know couple of ancient cities. You probably didn't know where they were on a map, and neither did I until I looked it up. That doesn't seem like a big deal. It doesn't seem like too much. Well, it's, it's a little worse than that. 
you can see here in red, hopefully, that Tyre and Sidon are these two port cities right along the coast there of the Mediterranean Sea. And Tyre and Sidon, for whatever reason, almost always went together when they're talked about in the Bible. And usually what the Bible has to say about Tyre and Sidon isn't good. Tyre and Sidon is a region that is outside of Israel. And that is very important for the rest of our time here today in Matthew 15. But even worse than that, Jesus is not just on holiday in the north. He's in a region that is known for being a godless region. A region that is known and so often when it's talked about in the Old Testament, talked about as being under God's judgment. Zechariah chapter 9 has some harsh things to say about Tyre and Sidon. Also in Isaiah chapter 23, God talks about Tyre and Sidon as being the harlot of the nations. You don't want to be from that place. Let's keep reading in verse 22. Matthew writes, Then a Canaanite woman, or a Gentile woman, who lived there, came to him, pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. It's very interesting that Matthew calls this woman a Canaanite woman. Because if you remember, the Canaanites were the people who lived in the land of Israel before God brought his people there. If you remember how the descendants of Abraham were enslaved in Egypt, Moses came, he delivered them, and he was bringing them to the promised land. And that promised land was the land of Canaan. And it was a land known for its wickedness and its godlessness. To be a Canaanite is to be the ancient enemy of the people of God. The Canaanites, almost without exception in the Old Testament, were the people that wherever the Israelites did not kick them out of their cities and out of their land, the Canaanites were the ones who led God's people astray. They encouraged them to worship idols or other gods and turn their hearts away from the one true God. So, we see that Jesus is not only in this godless area, but he's being addressed by this woman who is from a godless race. But pay attention to how she addresses him. She says, O Lord, Son of David. So she's, she's heard some things about Jesus. She's probably using this name and title for Jesus without fully understanding what we see now, having the rest of the New Testament and knowing that Jesus really is the Lord, that he's the eternal Son of God. But she's heard some things about Jesus, and she believes that he has the power and the authority to give her what she needs. And so she's addressing him in this way that shows she has heard some things about who Jesus is, that he is the son of David. And she's asking him to have mercy on her and heal her daughter of demon possession. No big deal, right? Jesus, he's literally cast out legions of demons, so... What is this going to be to him? Let's read on and see how Jesus responds in verse 23. But Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. But Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. Okay, that's not what we were expecting. 
let's keep reading and see if this helps, helps it make more sense. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Some translations might say she's following behind us, crying out. This woman is so persistent for Jesus to heal her daughter that she's driving his disciples crazy. She's annoying them to the extent that they're coming to Jesus saying, please send her away so she'll stop bothering us. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. This is an interesting phrase because Jesus has used it elsewhere in Matthew. In fact, this is the same phrase that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 10 in verses 5 and 6 when he sent his own disciples out and he said, don't go to Samaria, don't go to the Gentiles, but go out, heal, cast out demons to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what Jesus is referring to here is what we can call his messianic mission. That Jesus came of the lineage of the children of Abraham. We know he's the son of David. He's the one that God had promised the Jewish people centuries before that God would send this deliverer. And Jesus himself, in John chapter 4, when he encountered the Samaritan woman at the well, he told her, salvation is from the Jews. In Romans, we read that salvation is for the Jew first and then secondarily to the Gentile. And so Jesus is responding to this woman's request for help by telling her she's not his focus and his priority. His priority is for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she doesn't give up. Verse 25. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. That she worshipped him could mean that she kneeled down before him. It might be that she threw herself face down on the ground before him. But she is imploring Jesus and throwing herself upon his goodness to help her and heal her daughter. Let's see how Jesus responded the second time in verse 26. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it the dogs. Okay, that is, that is also not what we were expecting for Jesus' response. Jesus is responding by way of an analogy here. And his point is to say, no good, loving parent takes the food meant for their children and then neglects them and doesn't feed them, but instead feeds their puppy or feeds their dog. He's trying to highlight the priority of his mission to the Jewish people. And there's some debate over the word dog here. It might mean more like a puppy of a, a household pet. But either way, it doesn't really sound too flattering. So this woman responds in verse 27. And she replied, 
That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. This woman is not caught up by her pride. She doesn't say, all right, I tried, fine, forget you, I'll go find someone else. She is all in. She knows that Jesus has the power and authority to heal her daughter. And so she engages this analogy that Jesus gave. And instead of being potentially insulted by it, what she says in essence is this. Lord, I might not understand all of the details and nuances of your messianic mission, of your priority to go to the Jewish people first. So if you give them what they need and all you give me is the crumbs that the children leave on the table, if you just give me the leftovers, that would be enough. That would be enough for all that I need if you just give me what's left over. Finally, Jesus responds the way we wanted him to in verse 28. And he says, Dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now Jesus, he hasn't responded the way that we would think. And I don't want to deter our focus too much, but probably a few of you here might be wondering, Jesus doesn't sound like he's been super nice to this lady. So this woman who's thrown herself upon the goodness of Jesus, was Jesus being kind of a jerk to her? And that feels wrong to even say, and it felt wrong even to type it as I was preparing these slides. But I think we can look at this with three tests. The character test, the narrative test, and the scripture test. What I mean by the character test is this. When we look at all of the rest of what the scriptures say about Jesus, was he the kind of person who was put off against someone or prejudicial against someone because of who they were, because of where they were from, because of their social or economic status, or because of what they had done? Or was Jesus the kind of person who was known for eating with tax collectors and sinners? The kind of person who touched unclean lepers and made them clean and healed. He was the kind of person who would not hold it against someone where they were from or what they had done. The second test I'm calling the narrative test. And that is to say, within this passage of Matthew 15, does this seem to fit what is going on? You're going to have a really hard time persuading me that Jesus was not delighted to hear this woman's answer and her incredible faith as she threw herself at his feet, trusting his goodness. Now, if you'll indulge me to tell you what I suspect, but I can't necessarily prove, we know Jesus was a master teacher. 
We know Jesus was able to confound the religious experts of the law. We know that even at the age of 12, he had incredible learning at the temple. And I strongly suspect that when Jesus sets up this analogy of this Canaanite woman being a dog, that's exactly how most Jewish people would have referred to a Canaanite person. And I think it is very probable that this might have been what Jesus' disciples, as they were being annoyed to the point of pleading with Jesus by this woman that he sent her away, this might have been what they were calling her, or this might have been the very thing that they were thinking. And I would not be at all surprised if this incredible teacher who was Jesus used what they were thinking or saying or the conceptions that they had about people from this area as a teachable moment to show them God's priority and what God cares about. We'll see a little bit more about the narrative test as we continue through the rest of chapter 15. But the third test is the scripture test. So what does the rest of scripture say about Jesus? We read that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he had a miraculous birth, that he lived a life that was led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we also read in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was like us in every way that we are, except without sin. So the scriptures affirm to us that Jesus was sinless, and so I don't think Jesus is being a jerk here. But I think Jesus is using at least the stereotypes that his disciples would have had. And I think he's very much giving this, op- this woman an opportunity to express her incredible faith in him. Let's keep working through the passage and see if that helps flesh out more of our narrative test as well. In verse 29, we read, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking, and the blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. So the first thing to pay attention to here that might not be as it seems is that Jesus has now gone back southeast a little bit to the region of the Sea of Galilee. And you can see this red circle here, the area that he's in. But what is important to know is that Jesus is in this region called the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. And this region maybe you guessed it, is a very heavy Gentile region, non-Jewish people region. So we need to keep that in mind as we're reading the rest of this passage. Jesus, who has this priority in his earthly ministry leading up to the cross to the Jewish people, is there and he is healing those who are lame, blind, crippled, and mute. And this fulfills what actually had been spoken about by Isaiah the prophet centuries before Jesus came in Isaiah chapter 35. Listen to what Isaiah 35 says about the time when the Lord is going to come and be with his people. Isaiah writes in in chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, 
when he, when God comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf, and the lame will leap like deer. And those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Now flip back to Matthew 15 and pay attention to verse 31. How did these people respond to what Jesus was doing? It says, and they praised the God of Israel. Then we're going to encounter something that maybe we've encountered recently. In verse 32, we continue to read, Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they will faint along the way. And his disciples replied, Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Okay, again, this is not the response we thought we would see from his disciples. Because literally one chapter ago, in chapter 14, Jesus fed 5,000 people. So why do his disciples now not have the faith that he can do it? That he can provide food? Again, if you'll indulge my suspicion, I strongly suspect that Jesus' disciples didn't think he couldn't do it. I think Jesus' disciples thought because he was in this Gentile region and his former miraculous feeding had been in Israel, the savior of God's people, the children of Abraham, in Israel was expected to do these incredible things. But here in a Gentile region, I suspect they thought he wouldn't. So Jesus asked them in verse 34, How much bread do you have? They replied, Seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish and thanked God for them. And he broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Then Jesus sent the people home. He got into a boat and crossed over to the region of Magadan. So Jesus who just previously was talking with this Canaanite woman about crumbs of bread. He metaphorically gave this woman the breadcrumbs she needed. And then, just a few verses later, he literally gives thousands of pieces of bread to Gentile people, which I think confirms that narrative test we talked about, about the character of Jesus that he was delighted to provide for them, that he was good to them and kind in their situation. 
And I think Matthew's point here in chapter 15 and what he's trying to get at is that Matthew is showing how Jesus is breaking down these social barriers that for so many centuries had existed between the Jewish people and those non-Jewish neighbors. And we know if we look ahead in Matthew that after Jesus goes to the cross, after he dies and is raised on the third day, that he's going to send his disciples out, beginning in Jerusalem, in Israel, but then out to Samaria and into the Gentile regions of the ends of the earth. And that God has always had a plan for people from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. But as we've seen, many things in this passage were not what they initially appeared to be. And it's interesting that while the Jewish conception of Gentile people was that they, was that they were unclean dogs, this Gentile woman had the kind of faith that is needed to become a spiritual child of God a spiritual descendant of Abraham. And we're going to see in the coming weeks in the rest of Matthew that as Jesus talks to many of the Jewish people, they have hardened hearts against him. And they're trusting in their identity, they're trusting in their heritage as Jewish people, as children of Abraham, and in doing so, rejecting their Savior, Jesus. And by rejecting him, they are spiritually unclean dogs. We see that everything is not as it seems. So this morning, what about you? Is everything as it seems with you? I want to encourage you this morning to not wait for a crisis in your life to figure out in whom do you trust Who do you really believe? Don't wait until a crisis strikes to try to figure that out. Some of you here today, you might say, I'm not buying it. I don't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. I don't believe he did these things that the Bible says he did. And if that's you this morning, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? What's going to change? What's going to help you? And maybe even more importantly, who are you waiting for? Who's going to love you like Jesus loves you? Who's going to give of themselves the way that he gave himself for you? Throw yourself upon the goodness of Jesus and live. Some of you might be what Jesus is going to talk about in the coming chapters of Matthew. You might be what he called whitewashed tombs. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you went to Sunday school and you knew the right answers. Maybe you know how to put on a good show and you can fool everyone around you that everything's okay. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're a wreck. Maybe you can fool me and the other pastors, but that doesn't matter. You can't fool God. 
So if that describes you today, stop it. Stop playing games and stop pretending. Take a note from the humility of this woman and throw yourself upon the goodness of Jesus. And for some of you that you're trying to follow Jesus and you know that you are a sinful person who is only saved by the good grace of God through faith, I also want to encourage you daily to throw yourself upon the goodness of Jesus. He is a kind and merciful Savior. And there's a big difference we need to take note of. Because Jesus with this Canaanite woman, the scraps, the crumbs, those were enough. But that was before Jesus went to the cross. On the cross, Jesus doesn't just have the table scraps left over. He doesn't only give you those. He also gave himself for you. There is nothing that you need that he will not provide for you. So this morning, whichever situation best describes you, don't wait for a crisis in your life, large or small, to figure out in whom you trust and in whom you believe. Throw yourself upon the goodness of Jesus.